Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. My guest this week, Isabel Hardesty, started her creative life in visual art and fashion before trying her hand at writing. Inspired in part by her childhood in South Florida, her most recent novels are The Witch of Belle Fleur and its sequel, Midnight in Belle Fleur. We talk about the importance of listening to our intuition, being sure you like your own work, why she self-publishes, the responsibility creatives bear for the messages we put into the culture, the revision process, and more. Here's my interview with Isabel Hardesty. Isabel, welcome to Follow Your Curiosity. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for having me, Nancy. So I'm wondering if you can start us off by telling us, you know, how how did you get your creative start? Were you a kid who was always doing wild imaginative things or did you sort of stumble into things later on? How did that go for you? Okay, well, I'm one of six kids and my mother um, is a singer. So I grew up just seeing a lot of creativity. We had Haitian paintings on the walls. Um, it was something that I just thought was natural. I used to love to draw. And then when I was going into high school, I was um, I went into a special program called PAVAC, which is Performing and Visual Arts Center. Now it's New World School of the Arts. So um, I was able to just kind of get focused with my creativity and learn, just learn that way and just... I don't know, I guess channel my, my energies. That's cool. So you started out drawing. When did you start writing? I started writing. I do remember in college, I, I've always loved um, English language arts growing up and I, I did very well in those classes. Uh, but I think that I didn't take it seriously until a teacher asked me in college at Pratt Institute, um, he asked me, he's like, what do you, what are you here for? I said, it's for fashion. And he said, you know, you can do anything you want it because you <laughs> like the way I wrote it. But yeah. You like the way I wrote. And he seemed very frustrated, kind of like, he's just, I think that was like the end of our conversation kind of, cause he was like, Rrr. but um, yeah, I love, I've always loved writing. Um, and uh, so then I guess only when I went to, when I went to Dragon Con and there was an open call for an anthology um, I took a chance and I entered a story in there and it showed me how to finish something as an adult, not finish something in school, uh, you know, with, you know, you have to do this for a grade. So that was wonderful. And then from there, I took that short story and I turned it into a novella and I turned that novella into a novella series. So that helped me a lot. But um, yeah, it's it's wonderful. All the teachers that we get in life, not always in, the, in this educational system, but just in life at Dragon Con, let's say who just helps show you your, how your creativity can blossom. So. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by the, the teacher at Pratt because I mean, did he ever say anything more to you? Like, do you realize you're talented in these other ways or, or anything <sighs> like that? Because that's such an interesting comment for him. To it was made. interesting. I do. I do remember when um, he was asking about, um, he said the story that he asked, he said, well, he goes, will I be responsible if I give someone $5 and he goes out and buys drugs with it? And I sat there and so people gave their answers and I raised my hand. I said, what if there are multiple realities and in one reality, he buys drugs and one reality, he helps someone else. He buys food with it. And he looked at me, same teacher. And he looked at me and said, 
that's another class. <laughs> so I do remember that. And he just looked at me like, yeah, it was really wonderful. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just kept writing and being inspired. And that's so wonderful as an artist when you realize that the energy that we have with creativity is also coming back to us in the form of music, in the form of um, television shows, writing, art, all of it is around us. And it's wonderful when you create based on someone else's creativity. And it doesn't have to be another book. It can be a painting, a song, a poem. So I love that. Love that. That's great. So did anybody encourage you when you started writing more? Was it like mostly self-fueled from the experiences with things like Dragon Con or were there other people in the mix? Um, the concept of my stories helped. It was actually helped when I was teaching. And as an art teacher, my um, co-teachers would sometimes be late picking up their, their students from my classroom. So I'd have the students finished putting their art away. They were lined up. And then I'd have these extra minutes with the kids, which was never a good thing because they'd be standing in line, touching each other, you know, just like, oh my goodness. And everything could just unravel within the last 60 seconds. So um, I would, I learned how to make up stories on the spot and I have to keep them engaged and kids will just tell you that's boring or that sounds, why did you do that? Right, right there. So I learned how to be good with stories, keep them motivated. And then I thought that was that. And then the same class would ask me the next day, what happened when they went into the forest? And I was like, uh, oh, oh, so then <laughs> and I'd have to continue it. So I learned how to, I learned some of the art of storytelling from students and they're very wonderful teachers. <laughs> so what age group were you teaching? I was teaching, uh, kindergarten I've taught all the way up to high school oh wow okay yeah yeah but especially that, the little ones will yeah they're very frank quite frank yes <laughs> yeah so did teaching art influence you aside from the storytelling to kill time did did these things kind of feed off of each other for you or are they completely separate um they both helped me with creativity because you know as you're teaching um as a parent also many times I tell my son things. And, you know, it's like, I'm teaching myself like, well, if something doesn't work out, keep on going. And it's like, I'll, you know, it's like note to self, this is what I need to do. So yes, as you're teaching with students and you say, okay, it's okay that you made a mistake, keep on going everybody. Um, or when they would come up to me sometimes and, and ask, do you like it? And I'd say to them, it's not, it's not really important if I like it, do you like it? Because I didn't want them to be, um, I don't want, I want to train them just to go, yeah, good job. That's just not healthy, honestly, as first best people, as any as creators, anything. So um, yeah, they definitely helped me. The concept of being an educator helped um, a lot. Everything works out. It all helps on the journey. It does. And I'm, I'm so glad that you were the kind of teacher who would say, do you like it? Exactly. Because I feel like that is so critical and is something that so many people get hung up on is yes. they stop thinking about whether they like it. And they're so focused on what I someone know. else will think or if someone will buy it or whatever. Right. Like, no, 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 no. you got to like it first. So true. Let it find its audience. So true. It's very true. It's about the process, not the product. And um, yeah, I did have a, a person in the classroom and I was teaching. I think I forgot who the person was, but 
when a child made an orange sky or whatever the color was, the person said, the adult said, well, that's an orange sky. Have you ever seen that? And I quickly interjected and said, well, actually in art, you can do that. I wanted, I came to the child's defense immediately because it's very important to, to do whatever you want and to do whatever you think of, even things that are bizarre. And so many, so many of the TV shows, books, and things that we love are people who take a chance or it was a mistake. Some of the recipes that we think are just normal actually started off as mistakes, which I told my students a lot in life. Yeah. And you know, if you've seen a sunset, you have oh, seen yeah. an orange sky. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And one of the things that really inspired me um, was, I guess, in 2009, we started going, my husband and I, to Dragon Con. And I found myself consistently going back to the writers, the writer tracks, um, and just scribbling, you know, my notepad. And uh, meanwhile, I could have gone to see famous actors from Star Trek, um, different other shows, uh, other authors, but I was just there scribbling away. And that's how I found out about the anthology. But I noticed that these rooms were very small. It wasn't as dynamic and exciting as the other rooms, but I just kept going there. It was feeding me. So it was just, it's interesting to see how life leads us. It does. And it did you make any connections in those rooms? I have to think you I some did make people. some connections. Yes, I did. And I'm connected with some of the people still. And it, it's actually helped me because I'm now going to be going to Dragon Con September 1st. And yay to them being very strict with their protocols mm -hmm. for a vaccination or proof of negative tests. Yay. Yay for mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So um, I'm going to be going and I'm going to be in seven panels, which is so fabulous. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited. Is that your first time going as a as a panelist? Yes, it is. So I like I've been checking the app and seeing my name consists like <laughs> nonstop going. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Ooh, it's real. It's real. It's like yeah, the first exactly. time you see your book as an actual book and yeah. like a file on your hard drive. And you're like, ooh. this is real, right? Right. It's wonderful, but uh, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So then, how from Dragon Con? How did you progress from there? with your writing? Well, from Dragon Con, then I, um, I entered into the anthology. I took a chance and it was like, even during Christmas where I finished that short story and I kept just working on it, working on it until I felt like it was ready. And I did it the day of like within hours of the deadline. And then I waited and I waited and I waited. And then, um, that summer, like, like basically six months later, I didn't know whether it, got into anthology. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start another book on my own. Um, and then I started The Witch of Belfleur. So that was wonderful. I had a lot of time to just, just create and relax and not worry about whether it was going to get into anything. There was no anthology deadline, but I learned how to finish something. So, um, and I learned what not to do because before that, I mean, I still have an unfinished book, which is ridiculously long. I learned how to not just let things um, just like run away like a, a wild horse. You do need, even if you're a pantser, you still need structure with the ideas that are just like, oh, these freeform, freeform ideas. You still need to give it, put them in chapters, know what's happening with the characters. Um, so I, I use what I learned from my short story for um, 
my big novel. And then um, when I found out that my book was accepted, my short stories accepted, I um, kind of had ideas for the novella series, which I put on the side, but then I finished my book. I thought it was finished. And then I did revisions. I learned that step too. I was like, I'm finished. It was like November 25th. I started that summer. I was like, yeah, I'm finished. I could write a novel in three months world. <laughs> so it was so cute. And then the reality of, it's like, I could leave it at this or I could just actually fix it. Um, so then, yeah, I learned and uh, I, I queried a lot. I, um, for my, my novel, I got some feedback, which was fabulous. I got a lot of good feedback and uh, I did get by within like a year or less, I got a book offer, but it wasn't, I checked and I was so excited. My ego was like, I just can't wait to say this on Facebook. But then I just stopped and I was like, is this the right step for me? And I looked and I was like, no. Then a second one came to me and they did not allow um, gay for main characters. I was like, okay, no. And I loved their designs. I was like, yes. But then when I did some more research, I was like, oh, okay, no. Yeah, wow. And what uh, is it again? <laughs> I know, exactly. Right. So uh, I just, I was so excited. In 2019, I had another book offer and it was so exciting. I just relocated from uh, Georgia to Washington state with my family. And I was like, this is exciting. Um, but again, I just had to pause and say, this is not for me. And I even acquired a literary agent after the book thing. So it was so exciting, but I couldn't sleep. I just, mm. I wasn't, I just was losing sleep. I was like asking, like, should I do that? Should I do that? So I was like, my soul, I wasn't at peace. So I just said no. And then I self-published The Witch of Elfleur last year, which I mean, now, now time's like kind of like, what was last year? Right. Um, I did it, yeah, May of 2020. And uh, yeah, so. So you got an agent after you got a book offer. I did, from like a big not usually how that goes. I know. And it was really exciting. I was like in the library. I was like, oh my gosh. I kept saying, this is surreal. It's surreal like a million times. It was exciting. And he is from a big agency in New York. So that was exciting, but it wasn't the fit for me. I wanted an agent that would be there for me for longer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so since it wasn't a perfect fit, I just said, this is not what I'm ready for. I want something that I can just then settle in and be cozy in. Yeah. So what, when it comes, I'll be excited. And if it means that I'm a self-published author for much, much longer and it works out, that's fine too. Yeah. And, and I'm, I, I don't want to move on before we talk about the fact that you obviously on some level beyond just logic knew don't do this. You know, I so did. many people would be like, I'm not sleeping. I'm just being ridiculous and I'm going to sign this contract. And I'm right. going to, yeah. Did you have a long history of, of like being in a family culture that really respects intuition or yes. was it just so loud? Well, yeah. Yes. My sister, my, I have uh, three sisters and yes. And for my mom as well. So I knew, yes. And um, my brothers too. So yes, it was important for me to listen to that voice and not just ignore it. And then later on go, oh, I should have listened to myself or that thing that's speaking to you that say, I think it's the same creative force. And I don't, I was scared of also doing something that would make my creative flame diminish because of frustration and 
regret and I didn't want to do that because you need to be free. And I'm not saying that when people have agents, they're not free. No, they're free. If you have the right agent, yay. If you have the right publisher, that's fabulous. Um, it's, it's great. It's if you can get the right team around you, yes. Um, but I also did research. So besides listening to my intuition, I used the other side of my brain and I read, and I do remember reading the word saying, getting out of a literary contract is harder than getting divorced. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. So getting out of certain contracts, it's harder than just getting a divorce. So um, I was like, I don't want to have a situation that makes me go, oh. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. The pause on this. If it's not, if it's not showing me, if I don't feel like this is right. I don't want to do it. I love that. I feel like we really need to normalize that idea that it's not just you being crazy. It's not, right. you know, you're being too perfectionistic, you're right. too sensitive, you're too whatever. Right. Especially when it's harder to get out of a literary contract than it is to get divorced. Exactly. Yeah. I did a lot of research and, you know, oh yeah, like uh, there, there's wonderful things. So if people do want to be published, there's wonderful ways to do it. I know that they do Twitter pitches. So um, I don't know if they're still around, but like PitMad, hashtag PitMad, they do, it, I think four times a year and writers can put a pitch and then at the end, put hashtag pitmad. And if their book is fantasy, hashtag F. And, you know, if it's YA, hashtag YA. There's information about it. And different Twitter pitches. And then agents will favorite it. And the agents will say, if I favorite it, please send me whatever, like five, first five pages, first three chapters. And um, all people who know will say, yes, everybody, before you, before you submit, make sure you do your research. See if you like the people. Don't just send it to anybody. So there's... There's something about just getting into things slowly and, uh, you know, not, not just don't ignore yourself. And there are so many fabulous agents and they're both, everything was the the agent and the publisher. They're great, but it wasn't a great fit for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you have to honor yourself. You really do. Yeah. Because if you don't, like you said, you know, you could be stuck in a situation that makes you miserable for a really long time. And that's not going to do anything wonderful for your creative process. Ever. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So you self-published. I did. I did. And how has that gone for you? Um, it's gone well. I'm learning so much, uh, learning so many resources online, learning about that. And uh, I have a newsletter that I have the best readers ever. And uh, they guide me and I just... I, you know, it's nice when you hear from them every now and then someone says, what you do is so nice. And I don't really see it that way. I sometimes just send my newsletters out. I do add little, you know, personal things about, oh, I went to a lavender farm or something and uh, submit photo, like send little photos of what I've done. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice, it's nice when you can create a little community of writers, uh, excuse me, of readers and writers as well and uh, just find a happy home. So when you say that they guide you, what does that look like? Um, let's see, guide me. Uh, well, let's see. Well, I remember sending something where I didn't put the right link and they said, so yeah, so yeah, it's nice like that. Um, I asked them if they wanted me to pretend, I said, I have a nice idea, like a spinoff. And I said, you think this would be good? And they said, sure. So that's like another project in the future. But that's nice hearing their feedback. 
That's really interesting. Yeah. Has anything that they've come back to you with really surprised you? Um, let's see. Um, the fact that they were interested in Bex having her own series would be fun. Like, I, I didn't know that people cared about Bex like I did because she's actually a villain in uh, the Jade uh, Jade's Awakening story, the uh, Delacorte Shapeshifter trilogy. She's a villain in all three books, but I like her and I want to change things up and give her her own um, story. So uh, I wasn't sure if people were gonna like that, but I was surprised that they wanted that. So that surprised me, yeah. I think there's a fascination with villains, don't you? I mean, as, yeah. a, as a writer, as a reader, as a TV watcher, whatever, I think, I don't know. There's there's something about them. They always run the risk of stealing the show because they do. You know, they can be so much more interesting because obviously your protagonist is probably not kind of villain. Exactly. So right. There's something liberating about watching a villain be themselves fully. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like you had to explain Bex's backstory when you started writing that? I did a little bit, but not too much. And uh, that's what's nice too, because they're unapologetically themselves and they just come into a scene, brash and loud. And uh, yeah, I like that. So I did a little bit of backstory on her, but not too much, which allows me to fill in more and kind of explain a little bit more like why she's like this. But um, I know, I don't know who said it, but wise words said that, wise words are this about villains. Villains don't think they're villains. Right. Yeah. That's great. When you just remember that, you're like, okay. Yeah, that's really centering. Yeah. And, and, you know, I remember hearing an interview years ago, and I could have this wrong, but I want to say that it was an interview about the movie In the Name of the Father, which I think was a Jim Sheridan movie. So I think that was who was being interviewed. And he said, you know, people generally don't do things they think are wrong. Exactly right. And it was such an eye-opening moment for me because it had never occurred to me. But when I, you know, as soon as he said it, it was like, oh, duh, of course they don't. Right. <laughs> you know? It's like everybody does the thing that they think is the right thing to do or is at least a reasonable thing to do. And when you when you look at people from that angle, it does make things a whole lot less black and white. Oh, yes. So like in my book now, the Witch of Belle Fleur, my novel that I completed, um, there's a villain who is trying to take, steal Juliet's soul. And uh, so he's trying to do that just to gain more power. In his mind, he thinks that's just like, well, I should do. But of course, Juliet um, is defending Belle Fleur. Her town is a swamp town in South Florida. And she set on stopping him. And... Uh, can you can you fill us in a little bit on the oh, yes. general story of that novel? Yes, Juliet, um, Juliet Mariana Fontaine. She is a recent high school grad. She is a new telenovela actress in South Florida, and then she discovers that she's also a witch. So she's able she's given the opportunity to be a witch or just walk away from it and uh, become a lead witch, actually. So. Uh, at the same time, her aunt is suffering an illness that she doesn't understand, but she's trying to help her. So the book opens up with Juliet and her gorgeous best friend, Victor, as they're traipsing through the Everglades in search of a cottonmouth snake so they can get some of the venom for an herbal 
right? An herbal, uh, wow. yeah. So it starts off and she's like, do you believe in magic? And uh, he's like, why? Victor doesn't, you know, he's like, what are you talking about? He has his own secrets, let's just say. <laughs> so it starts off with a bang and it's so fun. It was such a joy to write this book. And uh, yeah. So you grew up in South Florida. Yes, I did in Miami. And and you've set the book in South Florida. And yes. I'm wondering to what extent is South Florida a character in the book? To what extent did it inspire the book? So much. So um, her aunt has a diner there, which is like a restaurant and it has a uh, South Florida food. Uh, they talk about pastelitos a lot, the Cuban pastries, which I love too much. I love them too much. Um, that she's a telenovela actress in a soap opera in Spanish. So that's they're very South Florida. Um, they're, it's everything's always very hot and humid. The, the scene in the beginning of the book is you know, they're sweating and uh, hot, humid, and then it rains, it rains all the time there. Um, yes, the flavor is very South Florida. And I, my dream is to see this on a screen because I think this would be so much fun and it's so visual too. And uh, there are a lot, there's, so they're destroyer witches and healer witches. And Juliet is half healer witch and half destroyer witch. So she's battling both sides of herself as she's um, finding her footing as a lead witch. Interesting. I like the internal conflict. Uh, I do too. So human. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And and it's, I mean, if you're all good, yeah. the good witch is only in the Wizard of Oz for how long? Because you can't really... It's just it. Exactly. Unless they're good and then they have something happen to them immediately and they just come back. Yeah. You have to do something. Otherwise it's just like, Oh, yay. (laughs) (laughs) So in the process of writing this book, did you, did you draw a lot on your own childhood or were you just completely winging it? I have to think it's some of each. (laughs) I um, drew on some, my love of nature. I love uh, growing up. I would love to just like hang out and look at nature just up close and um, play in dirt, all that stuff. Uh, so that the traipsing around at the Everglades, I've never done looking for cottonmouth snake venom, never done that. <laughs> but oh yeah, watching telenovelas. I loved doing that with my mom and my sisters. My brothers were not really into this telenovelas, but that was just, those are fond memories. Um, so yeah, that's exciting. The drama with telenovelas. Um, uh, let's see, there's some, there's some beach scenes there. And I think there's, there's some South beach party stuff. So, um, I just, yeah, I drew a lot of, of, about, what I've experienced, but also what I've loved to watch or read things that have just sparked that joy that, uh, just like, wow, this is exactly what I've wanted to see. So, um, there, there's a party scene with like, I think like Lotus flowers floating in a pool. I just, every time I see that, I just think it's gorgeous. It's, it's beautiful. Um, first love. Um, I won't tell you too much about the love situation, but writing it I did introduce a character who was was kind of like a bad boy and I at first when I was writing it I wanted I was like okay she's gonna go for the bad boy obviously and then as I was writing it my more mature side said but I don't want her to I really want her to just be with someone that's right for her so I just I just uh, kind of avoided the chaos 
of life. And I just made her, yeah, without saying, saying too much, but I just, yeah, I was like, I don't need to do that. You don't need yeah. to have that drama sometimes. So you mentioned pantsers before. I'm assuming that that means you are one. I can be, but <laughs> to finish the Bewitch of Belfleur, I, um, I did see that amazing image of JK Rowling, how she has her outline. There's like a sheet that she does with, it's like really intense where she has every character or every faction. And then she writes down where they, where they show up. I was like, that's good because sometimes people can talk about something or a person and you're like, well, and then at the end of the book, they mentioned like, oh gosh, I forgot to talk about them again. So I, I kind of didn't do that at all. Cause that was like super JK Rowling's brain, <laughs> but, uh, I did, I, um, made like an outline. I made very different outlines for my visual brain. I made a vertical outline with all of the chapters and I would put little notes. And then I also made, um, for like my other books, I would take a sheet of paper, kind of like show TV show writing style. And I broke it like, um, how they break stories. Cause I, I love that actually. And I'm actually writing scripts a little bit, just playing with it. Cause it's super fun. And I would uh, do, let's say, three scenes and three points, a little bit uh, for uh, my novella. So there are different ways that I like to outline. And I do believe in outlining. But if you're very visual or if, it could be overwhelming sometimes if you're not an outline person. So I make my outline the way it works for me. Not like the stuff that I learned about in high school that you know, made me scared. But like the Roman numerals. Oh, my gosh. I don't like that. <laughs> Yeah. So my outline is very visual. So you're talking about breaking for the, the script style, and I'm not sure people are familiar with what that means. Um, I listened to this video from the maker, uh, the creator of Breaking Bad, and he's talking about how they break a scene. I couldn't be getting this wrong, but uh, so let's say they have a scene. He says, what do you want to have? happen in that scene or what do you want the viewers to see they should be let's say three points three uh, i think i think they're points i'm sorry um and then write those in and then you can fill in the extra after that so he said so his thing is that he said so let's say that one of us gets hit by a bus he said if we're not there the other people could just write it out because we're because everything's such a beautiful framework so um that is a really nice way to do it um, but I do think that when someone talks about the word outline, everyone assumes it's one specific form, but it could be a visual outline where you just draw things. It could be um, uh, like um, maybe three words. It doesn't have to be as detailed and time consuming as we always think it has to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I want to be very careful the way I phrase this as a former teacher and somebody who has all the respect for English teachers. Um, yeah, I, I think, I know I always rebelled against outlining. Yeah. And if one of my high school English teachers is listening to this, he'll know who he is because he knows exactly how yeah. much I rebelled against that. But um, but I think in part it was like, yeah, I, I don't know all of these things. You know, when you know. write, things change and your perception of things change. Exactly. And it might turn out that, you know, this little letter A over here mm -hmm. is five layers down. Oh, my gosh. That scared is, me. Right. It's like, but but that might not be the thing I end up with. 
Exactly. And it, it felt like such a straight jacket. And I, yeah. you know, it was kind of like, okay, I can do an A and a B and maybe a one and a two, but that's right. about as much as I want to do <laughs> right. here. And, and yeah, I think, I think it's good to teach people how they can organize stuff like that because otherwise yeah. you may not realize you could. Right. But at the same time, I think you need to little, leave a little bit of room because half of the process of writing, I find, especially for nonfiction, but also when writing fiction, is discovering what you actually know and how it True. goes together as you go. Right. It was very liberating for me to uh, change that love story because um, it was going one way and I thought I had to, but then I, you know, it was like so beautiful, the kiss. So I actually changed it from the kiss to them just being close. And it was her, instead of it being a kiss where she realizes and she sees her fingertips light up and, she, you know, it's because of the kiss potentially, she realizes her fingers are lighting up and she just hides them, but it's not because of the kiss. So it's, he, I basically give her more power to herself. It's not like, oh, he illuminated my fingertips because you know, he's, you know, the key to me, she's the key to herself. And um, I didn't want to, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, it's true. And cause I know that a lot of women our age will read it, but also women who are in their twenties and teenagers. So, you know, if we can guide sometimes it's wonderful just to go like, you don't have to go for the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. And also things that you might think mean, Ooh, this is the right one. Yeah. Often right. actually mean you should run right now. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Right. I think that the bells are not necessarily good things. It's like, right. It's a fire yeah. alarm. Like, Please. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm at that point now where I'm thinking back and I've, I'm noticing it in songs and in, you know, things that I watched as a kid or read as yeah. a kid. And it's like, we have a really screwed up idea about how this stuff works so often. Right. Exactly. And I mean, all, all due respect to Annie Lennox, who I absolutely adore, but I heard yeah. her song Waiting in Vain on the radio recently, oh. and I thought, it's been three years and you're still waiting for this guy, honey. Oh, honey, well, no. yeah. Yeah. No, no. What are you doing? Right. And, and I just thought, oh, I like this song, but I'm not sure if I can listen to it anymore. Yeah, I know. I know. So, um, yes. Yeah, so I'm... I was, you know, very aware of that the power that we have as, as, uh, artists, mm -hmm. you influence people and it's nice to just feel like, you know what, I'm going to do this. Uh, but, um, there's a little push pull there, um, with that character, but not too much. I didn't, I could have done a love triangle 100%, but I was like, okay, I think I'm not going to do that. Um, but yes, that's the problem with the outline. If it's super structured and we yeah. look at it and go, yep, this is awesome. And, you know, we invite her take pictures and show our friends. Oh my gosh, my island's so cool. Um, who cares? It's not the book. <laughs> not the book. That's right. It's not. Oh gosh, it's not the book. Oh no. I spent three months on the outline, but I do know that for some authors, they do a structured outline and sometimes they literally need to because that's how their brain works. Mm -hmm. And it's super structured, takes forever. And then they easily write the book and that works for them, which is great. But yeah, as you're saying, Nancy, for the people it doesn't work for, they walk away going, well, I guess I'm not a writer. Yeah. And it's not true. It's not true at all. And, and, you know, from what I've heard in various interviews and things, you know, even the people who plot everything 
yeah. know to leave room for the possibility yeah. that someday, you know, their character is going to wake up and say, so, hey, you didn't yeah. want me to kiss the bad boy, but I'm doing it. Exactly. <laughs> I'm doing it. And it's happening. You're like, and it happened, right? You do yeah. have to allow that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I am, I could never do that super detailed level of plotting, though, yeah. If I were writing something on the scope of a Harry Potter series oh, or something yeah. like that, yeah. I think I would have to do a lot more right. because, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I think about TV series sometimes, you know, they yeah. don't know that they're going to get the season beyond the one that they know. In. And how do they, how do they keep it all making sense when they don't know if they're going to get more time exactly. stuff like that? But but still, you know, with something that big, you have to have some sense of yes. who's doing and what's what beyond. Yeah. I don't know. I have this character popped into my head and right. I'm going to put her in a room with other people and I'm going to see what happens, which right. tends to be more the way I write than not. Yeah. But but yeah, you know, like you you have to you have to give it a little bit of of room to do strange things that you're not mm -hmm. expecting. That's but I also right. I mean, I can't write if I know exactly how it's going to end. Yeah, because yeah. then there's no point for yeah. me. So they're definitely two radically different ways of of approaching mm -hmm. a project like that. But you know, I will often be like, okay, I know I have to get to this. Right. This exactly. Happen. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to happen, mm -hmm. but I know it needs to happen, and then this other thing can happen. Right. And then from there, I have no idea, you know. So. So, yeah, I mean, there are so many different ways to approach writing. And I think it's such mm -hmm. a shame if people say, oh, but I don't know what's going to happen. So I can't. Write right. You know, this reminds me of the story that I heard. I don't remember from who. So sorry, everyone. But it's about, I think, a maybe a cowboy and his nephew. And they were walking in the snow and uh, they walked through the snow and then later on the the cowboy, the older man said to the younger kid going, see, you see my, see my footprints, my snow prints. They're straight in one line. Look at yours. They're all like all over the place. And the kid said, yeah, but I had more fun. So, you know, we enjoy the process. Right. And you know, if a straight line works for you, run with it. Exactly. And if you're going to be all over the place and that's just how you are, that's okay. Exactly. Too. That's what and editing is for. That's fine. Right. Yeah. As long as it helps you get to the end. I, I'll never forget the feeling of finishing my short story, which is not long, of course, but I felt wonderful knowing that I had an idea with characters and then I was able to finish it. And that was great. And then I did it with a longer piece of novella. I was like, yes. Um, then my book, which I then took, you know, longer time to to get it where I wanted it to be, but then it felt really wonderful um, publishing it last year and going, yes, this is where I want it to be. This is my story and this is the story I'm telling. Um, it's a nice feeling and whatever it takes to get there in terms of outlining, please uh, find the way that works for you. And um, it might be drawings or whatever, but it's nice. So for Jade's Awakening and Jade's Ascent and Jade's Paradox, I would get a big paper like, um, I don't know, the big presentation paper when we'd go into offices, et cetera, and fold it a few times and make my chapters. I think I have, I think eight chapters in those books. There's, there's novellas. And then I would do that where I'd have like three scenes, 
um, and three points ish per scene. And it helped me. I'd write it out. What's going to happen. And then I looked and then I'd switch things out and then I'd write, but I couldn't do it that easily for the, um, the witch of Elfleur because it was a little bit harder, but I did find my way of outlining it that made my brain happy. And, and I, that's yeah. really it. You yeah. Brain happy. Yeah, definitely. But it's the solution is out there for the writers who are listening going, but no, but I'm different. No, I can't do that. Or I can't do this, but um, there's a way to do it. Just find it. And when it works work, you know, and it doesn't have to work for each book and that's okay. Yeah. And don't let right. anybody try to tell you what your way is. Cause they don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Even if it's your favorite author who's saying, this is the way to do it. Yeah. And sometimes when we pay for classes, we think, oh gosh, I paid for this class. So I really have to do it now. I mean, if it's not working and your book's not finished yet, maybe it's not working. Right. Yeah. The other thing that, you know, I kind of want to come back to because you mentioned it, you know, when you were starting out and we're sort yeah. of at that point again, talking about this process is if you finish your first draft and yeah. your reaction is a combination of, wow, I finished it. And oh, good Lord, it's the worst thing anyone's ever written. Right. Don't give up. That is what yeah. revision is for. Yeah. Revision is like, for me anyway, I think of it as like, okay, I have, I have this giant jigsaw puzzle now. Yeah. And it's done, but there are pieces missing in the middle. Right. And there are these other pieces over here. And I don't know if they belong in here or not. I know they don't necessarily go in that middle, but they might fit and they might not. And maybe, maybe I have to kind of like add a whole extra row of pieces right you know to make the whole thing yes it's it is it's like solving a puzzle to me because i'll read through it and i will be asking myself all sorts of questions and noticing all the things that don't match up and i mean i don't know to what extent that's your process or anybody else i agree yeah there's so much this is kind of like when the visual arts is so similar to literary arts because it's it's similar when you're painting and you look at something like oh it's not there yet, but you've done part of the background and part of the portrait or whatever you're doing is going to be there eventually. But this is when the sense of belief in yourself and uh, knowing it's, it's fine. It's fine. I got this. And any mistakes that you find when you read, write the word the is H-T-E, you're <laughs> able to go, this is okay. This is okay. And just kind of, um, someone said, I don't know who, you have to be drunk when you're writing. You have to be drunk in like the whole fantasy of it going, oh, this is beautiful. When you're editing, you still have to have a little bit. Of, I think you still have to have a little bit of that. I think they say edit, write drunk, edit sober. Yeah. But I think that you still need to have some of that fantasy because you don't want to be so mean to yourself. And you're like, why did I do that? And this is so embarrassing because then it's like you start stepping back and go, you know, like old fashioned, take the paper, put in a drawer, you know, put the typewriter mm-hmm. away. I should never have done that. Oh my gosh, who do I think I am? And, you know, of course, now then we go to Instagram and go, these are the real people and I'm so unworthy and we can't, we can't. You just have to kind of go like, I'm playing still and just keep going and growing and going and just believe and, and have a happy, healthy, loving heart to yourself. You have, it's so hard, but you have to just love yourself and just, Love yourself through the process enough to not put the painting away or put the book away and just lock it up and just, you know, because of course it's safer because you can't mm-hmm. be rejected or get 
some reviews that make you go, ah. But um, one thing I do remember is that, you know, those reviews don't matter, including the nice ones, which is like the kid going, Mrs. Hardesty, do you like it? Waiting, looking in my eye. And I'd look at the kid and I knew what they wanted. And I was like, I'd look and I'd say, um, do you like it? So that's what we have to do even as adults, which is sometimes not as easy, but, you know. But, you know, I think we are all that kid, right? So we need to like talk to that kid yeah. who wants to be good enough and wants right. the approval and say, hey, look, your work is just as good as anybody else's. Yes. If you like it, that's the only thing that matters. It doesn't have to hang on anybody else's wall. It exactly. doesn't have to sit on anybody else's shelf. But how many people walk into, and I, I will confess I have had moments of this because I am not an artist, but you know, like walk into the the Museum of Modern Art right. and see something like a Mondrian painting and go, it's exactly. squares and I could do this. Right. But do they? Exactly. Because I am here to tell you, I have never sat down and tried to paint like that. Exactly. So it's pretty rich for me to go in and judge somebody else's stuff when I've exactly. never done it. And so right. many people say, oh, I could write a book about this. And then they exactly. don't. So if you exactly. have that alone, regardless of the quality of the book or the painting or whatever, is something to celebrate. Exactly. That's so true. Just to um, to finish it, love it, and then move on and write something else. And that's okay. And just to give yourself the permission to not be perfect and to still create and to have fun and enjoy the process. Do you have anything that works for yourself on giving yourself permission not to be perfect? Um, let's see. Uh, you know, I just, I just know that it doesn't really matter all the perfection. The perfection is stifling and it just makes us freeze. So, uh, yeah, I am goofy. I'm silly. I like to, for painting, sometimes I uh, have made some of my nicest work with a mistake when I thought I had blue and I put it on the paint on the canvas and it was green. I'm like, well, that happened. And then it works out nicely. So with writing, too, it's uh, you just kind of enjoy the process. You when you're writing, you can make your little. Happy place with unicorns, whatever that makes you happy. <laughs> You know, you know, I used to buy sometimes some things and go, I'm going to sell this or I'm going to give it away. And I just kept it because I was like, well, I'm just lying to myself. I like the unicorn. It's silly. It's a glass unicorn. I still have it. But, um, you know, just find that inner child, that inner artist and make it happy. Make her make him happy. Make them happy. So uh, just listen to that that voice that wants to create wherever it's telling you to go and have fun enjoy the process let yourself make mistakes because everybody has made mistakes is making mistakes and some of the things that we're looking at are mistakes that we don't know that are mistakes we think that it's supposed to be this thing that's supposed to be amazing i think chocolate chip cookies are mistakes um you know so many things yeah I just I just heard somebody go through a whole list not long ago of things like that. that the chocolate chip cookies yeah. were unintentional, that potato right. chips were invented by an angry chef because some customer kept sending the potatoes back because they weren't thin enough. And it was really a fit of peak that gave us potato <laughs> chips, you know, I, you you just you just never know. I mean, right. penicillin was accidental. Yeah. Look open at that. window And the mold flew in and somebody mm. happened to notice. 
And I think, you know, we either don't give enough credit to the idea that things can be accidental like that. They can right. be unintentional. They can even be a flat out mistake. Yeah. Or we think, well, I'm not Alexander Fleming, so I'm not right. going to go back to my lab and notice the mold in the Petri dish. Right. And he's still specialer than I am somehow. Exactly. level that is unattainable. And it's, it's not true. It's so, yeah, it's very false. Um, I mean, so basically this year, I remember the evening when I was applying for the Dragon Con panel to be a panelist. And the difference between me doing, getting in and not is the fact that I dared. I opened up my laptop and I just looked and I was like, oh, I'm still within the deadline. Imagine. <laughs> Part of me, honestly, Nancy, let's just say there is, I don't know what percentage, there was a percentage of me that was hoping that the deadline had passed because that would be like me locking the drawer going, well, I guess I'm not a writer. Well, I guess the universe doesn't want me to do it because the deadline passed. So see you next year, guys. So I've always wanted to be a panelist at Dragon Con. So, but when I, so when I saw it this year, I thought, oh, okay. And I started doing it. Like, I'm probably not going to finish this process, whatever. Let's see what they want from me, how difficult it is. I had to write a biography again. They said third person. I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> so hard it was so nice that I used it on my website I was like "Ooh, I like it see but that, that, that that didn't scare me enough so I continued <sighs> so I actually then I submitted it and that was it now you know I'm on seven panels which is great I'm excited about it but honestly that was just one moment where I just took a chance and so if we imagine what happens when more of us take chances Submit, share, um, try out, audition, create. Yeah. And it is so easy because I, I know that feeling of yeah. has the deadline already passed? Because if it has, I don't have to do this. And Fingers crossed. Stick my neck out. And, right. and part of me wants to do it, but there's yeah. this other part of me over here that's like, I'm really hoping the deadline is gone. Yeah. Can Sitting on the couch looking at you going, what? They're not going to, they're not going to, come on. Right. Why are you wasting your time? But uh, because, right, because I'm, waste, I'm not wasting my time and investing my time in this because I have a book that I love. I have three other books that I love too. And I have readers who like my work and I matter and my voice matters. And I want to talk about what I like. So this is me world. Yeah. And it's, it's so easy to psych ourselves out of that. Right. You know, and to deliberately say, Oh, I think, I think that that deadline has like another month. I think it's okay. I don't have to look at I it know. for another three weeks because you know, right. you're pretty sure that if you wait three weeks, the deadline will have passed. Exactly. It's, so, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. But meanwhile, meanwhile if a show's going to come out or something, we're like, hey, Siri, set a timer or, you know, you know remind me of this. <laughs> but we can't do it for something important, right? Yeah, so I purposefully right. got Outlook on my phone, but I could have done Calendly because I wanted to keep track of things a bit more and not just let things kind of like, well, whatever. I'm not like that, but you know, there's certain times in, in life and you know, okay, summer's here. I don't want to lose track of things and just uh, miss opportunities, honestly. Yeah. And I think, and you could tell me if this has been your experience or not, but I have the feeling because so much of life is like this, including creativity, you know, the when you first sit down and say, I'm going to try to write something it's terrifying because you have that blank page and it's staring right. at you, you know, or the blank canvas or the blank, whatever. But once you spend five minutes, even if it is 
five minutes of the worst words that anybody has ever put on that page, it's not right. scary anymore, right? So you feel encouraged to keep going. Exactly. And and I think it's that way with taking chances too. Like the oh, chances that you take don't necessarily have to be tomorrow I am leaving and I'm going to fly to Mount Everest and right. sail it. You know, right. it can be I'm gonna go for a walk in the local nature preserve for half an hour. Exactly. And then you're more likely to do it again. There's, yeah. there's magic in just doing anything. Yes, leaning into things and just trusting the process and uh yeah um and not feeling like an imposter i did see i think shada rhymes on instagram put a post she's amazing she said something like uh don't worry about imposter syndrome because you wouldn't be in the room if you weren't worthy you know if you're in the room wondering if you should speak up or not you wouldn't have been invited into that room unless you were worthy so yeah so just there's a reason why certain applications are on our screen that we're actually looking at it going, should I apply? Well, if you wouldn't be a potential, why would you even be looking there? Or why would you have gotten the link or yeah. So just be brave and do it. Yeah. And that reminds me of the Stephen Pressfield quote that I don't know word for word off the top of my head, but you know, he's talking about how the counterfeit artist is wildly confident, but the real one is scared to death. Right. Because the counterfeit artist who's just faking it all doesn't have to take any chances. Right. And won't finish anything either. Probably. Right. So we'll tell like, everyone that they're working on their book. Yeah. I've got like a couple of concertos. I mean, you know, I've got this uh, stuff thing that's going to be happening sometime, you know, in the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the other artist is sitting there just doing in their own emotional drama. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because the other artist is actually doing it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So so where are you going from Dragon Con then? From Dragon Con, I'm finishing Midnight in Belfleur, which is book two of The Witch of Belfleur. And then I'm most likely after that. Oh, I also have another script that I'm working on about a vampire witch. And uh, that is finished. I'm going to probably write on work on Bex, the, uh, the story about Bex, which is um, fun. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And you did mention you're getting into script writing. Is that, I mean, I know that script writing has very different rules from it just does. writing a novel. How are you yeah, finding it's different. that? I'm, I'm sorry? How are you finding that switch? It's totally different. It's like, it's much shorter, but it's interesting and t tedious as well. Uh, it takes a lot of time, but um. It's something that I've always been interested in. I uh, looked at a class, I guess, 10 years ago, and it was like, oh, oh my goodness, like oh, forbidden fruit kind of thing. Like, oh, what if I did that? Oh, that'd be insane. Like getting a mohawk, um, <laughs> you know, and then you get the mohawk and you're like, well, whatever, just have a mohawk. Um, but uh, so we'll see. That's just fun. Um, we'll see where that leads. But uh, I did that trying to also see what it's like, the concept of having my story, The Witch of Belfleur, on a screen. So, um, well, you know, hopefully I can send you an awesome email in the future. Well, I'll be looking forward to that for sure. Thank you. Thank you. So I feel like this is just the perfect place to wrap things up, but I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. It's always fun talking to other writers about their processes and what oh, they've thank learned. Thank you. You've been a joy to speak with, Nancy. Thank you. 
That's this week's show. My thanks to Isabel Hardesty and to you for listening. If you like what I do, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or your favorite podcatcher. It really helps me reach new listeners. And don't forget to tell a friend. Thanks so much. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.